feel the Lord is uh, moving in this place tonight to touch people. Whatever you need tonight, if you need a healing, you need a breakthrough, we're going to pray for people and believe God's going to mightily touch you. In fact, I believe God's preparing things even now for the conference. But Lord willing, this will be the last sermon that I do on Babylon the Harlot Church. I've done some sermon series. We did a really in-depth one back years ago on called the Spina Prophecy a deep until detailed look at end time prophecy then after that i did one called revelation the final days and we just went through the book of revelation in depth i mean literally line upon line covered the entire book of revelation and this is in many ways i think kind of a, a continuation but maybe even a fulfillment a, a final work of those series that we did because we're looking at some things that are quite unique to to think about in the book of Revelation in regards to both religious and political Babylon. So tonight I want to share a little bit, might be a bit controversial, some of it, but let's open with prayer. Lord, I thank you for your word. Where would we be today without the word of God? We thank you for your word. We thank you for the presence of your Holy Spirit. We thank you, Lord, for the power of God that's present here tonight to heal, to deliver, to break through. And Lord, I thank you for an open heaven. I thank you for your presence. And Lord, even as I'm preaching, I thank you for the Holy Spirit moving upon every one of us to give us good soil of hearts and minds and lives and, and that eyes and ears of the Spirit to see and hear. Good soil, that your word go out as living seeds of truth sown into good soil, watered by the Holy Spirit, take root, grow, and produce a hundredfold harvest of eternal fruit that remains till Jesus comes. I thank you for everything being said and everything accomplished in and through this time that your will to be done. And this will be a powerful time in you, thorough. And the winds of your spirit will carry this out among the nations. It will go forth and accomplish that which you sent it forth to do. And we stand on the promise, the word, the promise, the word will not return void, but will accomplish that which you sent it forth to do. And we bind the enemy. Anything that would try to hinder this word, we command it to be bound in Jesus' name and back off right now. And I thank you for the angels of the Lord just clearing away any resistance of the evil one. And there would just be a pure flow tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, how many have at least learned something in this series that we've been going through? All right, so we're going to continue on Revelation chapter 17, which is primarily what, where I've been focused about the whore Babylon. So Revelation 17, starting at verse 3, John received this around 90 AD. He was on the Isle of Patmos being persecuted and put there as like a, like a penal colony area. And there the Lord appeared to him, what appeared to be on the Sabbath, because he called it the Lord's Day. And the Lord, it, he said, the Lord carried me away in the spirit into a wilderness. So he was carried away into like a desert type place. And I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast, full of blasphemous names, having seven heads and ten horns. And the woman was clothed in purple and scarlet, adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls. Having in her hand a gold cup full of abominations of the unclean things of her immorality. So I pointed out quite a bit how the focus of this woman is what she's wearing. So the outward, you know, and it reminds me. So what I wanted to bring out about this is quite interesting. 
is I've studied end time prophecy for many, many years. One of the things that I personally feel, and again, I could be wrong about this. You can just take the information and draw your own conclusions. And if you see it differently than I do, that's okay. You may be right. But there's some things, in my opinion, I feel point to Roman Catholicism as a strong candidate. I'm not saying for sure, but I am saying that it is a strong candidate for this. For one, John mentioned the seven hills, which is Rome, and there's no debating that. That's what it's referring to. Also, I would point out that when God brought down uh, Gabriel to come to Daniel, and Daniel wrote about it, Daniel saw that golden head of Babylon, the silver chest and arms of the Medes and Persians, the loins of bronze being Greece, and then it moved into the legs of iron, which is the eastern or western Rome, which was when Jesus came. And when Jesus died on the cross and those that mattered in the nation of Israel, the Sanhedrin, did not receive him, the Lord brought judgment on Israel and sent the gospel to the nations, to the Gentiles. But I want you to remember this because it's very important. God pushed pause on end-time prophecy. And he didn't unpause it until Israel was regathered back in the land of Israel. And then things started unfolding pretty rapidly after that. And here we are in the last of the last days. But I want you to notice this, and please don't miss this. When it moved into the legs of iron, which is Rome, that never stopped. That continued all the way into the ten toes of iron and clay. It's still Rome. We're still in the age of Rome. Does that make sense to everybody? God simply paused it and then unpaused it. So by saying that the Antichrist is going to be over the political revived Roman Empire is not wrong. That's correct. But the Bible refers to that as a Babylon. And then also the spiritual could be called a spiritual Rome. And that would be fine to call it that. Um, Roman Catholicism, let me just add some things. And I want to make sure I, I'm not misunderstood because... There's some wonderful Catholic people I love very much, and I have nothing at all against uh, people that are Catholic. As a matter of fact, that they want to come here and seek God, and I, they're going to hear the truth here, okay? They're going to hear the gospel, but we love them, and there's nothing in the way of being critical toward Catholic people. When I'm referring to Roman Catholicism, I'm referring to a cult. Why am I calling it a cult? For Well, there's a several reasons but not the least of which is this. They, I'm telling you that Rome officially, out of the Vatican, does not believe the gospel that you and I believe. This is not debatable. This is a, their, their official teaching. They still have an attitude of, we don't believe the gospel that Martin Luther preached. They don't. The way that Roman Catholics believe, that, or the way that they teach that you get to heaven is by being a good little Catholic. So in other words, it's by works. Don't forget that because that any time, I don't care if it's a, a church that has a Christian name on it, a mainline denomination, if that particular church is teaching another gospel, 
that you're saved by being a good little church member there and obeying their rules and that's how you're going to get to heaven, that's a cult. I don't care what's over their door. So if the foundation is off, if the gospel is off, it is a cult regardless of whatever name you put on it. And so that's the main thing is the gospel is a different gospel. But there are also many other problems. Uh, Roman Catholicism is replete with idolatry. I mean everywhere. Would anybody argue that point? And having as much idolatry as they do, the Bible says, as I've said many times, the Ten Commandments, the first two, do not create a graven image and do not worship other gods. They're creating images, and some, and some I'm not saying everybody, but some of them bow down to those images, and yes, they do. And the emphasis in Roman Catholicism in many ways is a lot on outward adornment. Have you seen the way the priest and the various regalia that's worn? A lot of emphasis on the outward uh, appearance. Now, I've mentioned that a lot throughout this whole thing, um, but Roman Catholicism is definitely a candidate. So the central area of all the religions coming together under a one-world religious unification, ecumenical movement, could be the center of that could be the Vatican. And that would not be hard for me to believe that and probably not for you to believe that because the Pope, John Paul, as I've probably already mentioned, has had uh, Islamic leaders come there and pray at the Vatican. He himself, John Paul, went to like a Buddhist temple and prayed. They did what's known as Native American ritual of burning the smudge pot there in the Vatican, which is similar to the sage that's burned. It's supposed to purge something. So Roman Catholicism has been doing this for a long time with trying to bring various religions together. One of the problems with Roman Catholicism, even down through the ages, was when they conquered a territory, they conquered it physically with like military might, and they would overtake whatever pagan religion was there, and then they would build on top of it, but they would blend Roman Catholicism with their paganism. And that's a historical fact. And that's been another major problem in Roman Catholicism. The doctrine of Roman Catholicism is very off in several areas, several areas that are quite concerning. But from what I understand, and again, I could be wrong. Maybe it'll be something different, but I'll give you another example. When Revelation chapter 13 says that the false prophet looked like the lamb, to me, in my understanding, that excludes things like Islam, because Islam does not appear to be Jesus Christ. Their leaders do not appear to be the Lamb of God. Would anybody argue with that? That excludes a lot of other religions. The only religion that that does not exclude is Roman Catholicism, because the Pope appears to be representing Christ. And so it could be that the Vatican is the central hub of this one world religious system in the days to come. And it could be that the Pope of that time would be a candidate for the false prophet. He may not be, but that's a good possibility. 
And this woman clothed in purple and scarlet, here's another thing that points to Roman Catholicism to me. Roman Catholicism, along with witchcraft, worships a female entity. In particular, Roman Catholicism worships Mary. Now, let me tell you that, let me make this real clear. When they're praying to and worshiping Mary, how many knows Mary is dead and gone? But there is a spirit behind that idolatry. And I'll tell you something. I'm sure that Mary, obviously none of us ever knew her. We will when we get to heaven. I'm sure that she's a wonderful person. But you know as well as I do, she is deeply grieved that people would worship her. But there's a spirit there's a, a feminine, female type of spirit that's being prayed to and worshipped. And I believe in the Bible it's referred to as the queen of heaven. And I also believe, and, that's, and that is used, those words are used, the queen of heaven. And I also believe it's the same spirit as this whore of Babylon. It's my opinion. That's just the way I see it. And so this whore of Babylon is really being empowered by all the worship, the false worship that's and the false prayers that are going up to Mary when the Bible teaches us there is only one mediator between God and man, Jesus Christ. So please understand what I'm saying. I'm not saying this as an insulting way. I'm just saying this as, as it is scripturally very off for me to be praying to dead people, to dead saints, or to be worshiping or praying to Mary. This came along down when Roman Catholicism came to power in 300 AD. Eventually, down through the ages, they started adopting wrong beliefs because it was believed in Roman Catholicism that the clergy, the leadership of the Catholic Church, had power and authority over the Bible. That's where you get into trouble, right there. No, all of us have to submit ourselves under the teachings of the apostles and what the Bible says. Amen? And so when anybody starts thinking that they're superior to the Bible and that they can change written doctrine, and so there came this mentality, and you can look all this up. It happened in, a, in a, one of their meetings that one of the popes started bringing up about the veneration of Mary, and it was accepted. This is a problem. And so one of the things that's happened over time, there's, there's a principle in the occult world called egregore. And what it is is that if you take something that could be relatively small, like an idol, and if one or two people are worshiping, praying to it, it's one thing. But when you start getting a whole lot of people over a long period of time worshiping and praying to that thing, it grows in power and seems to take on a spirit of its own. Did you know that's what happened with Islam? It was actually quite small, and there was Mecca, and Muhammad comes in and basically kicks over the others, but there was this moon, God Allah, that he felt was the supreme one, and now down through the centuries, million, a lot of bloodshed, millions of people worshiping and praying to this thing, it's taken on a power and a spirit of its own. There's a spirit behind Islam. Is everybody following me? And so as people have been praying to and worshiping Mary, it's taken on some kind of a strange spirit. There's some kind of an entity. And in Roman Catholicism, 
there's been this uh, strange phenomenon, you can look this up, called the Marian apparitions, where supposedly some female entity has come down and appeared and spoken things to people. And so Roman Catholics will take a pilgrimage to these areas and will worship and pray to the Queen of Heaven in those areas because supposedly some female entity has come down and appeared and spoke to them and given them messages. Could that be the Queen of Heaven? Could that be the Whore of Babylon? And so let me give you something else. In Roman Catholicism, there's no new birth that is required. So you and I could start going to a Catholic church and there would never be any type of an emphasis put on us being born again. Hearing the gospel, putting our faith in Christ, being born again, becoming a new creation, washed in the blood, there's no emphasis on that. The emphasis, rather, is put on obeying the rules and measuring up and being a good little Catholic and doing what you're told. And I could go on and on, but I don't want to keep on with it too much. But also, another great concern is when somebody can go, I, you know, if I was Catholic, I could go out and do all kinds of sins, and I could go into confessional and sit in a booth, and a man opens a window, and I could confess everything to him that I've done, and then he'll make the sign of a cross and say you're forgiven, and then you leave out thinking that your sins are forgiven. How many knows that that's not a way that you're going to get your sins forgiven whatsoever? The only way your sins are going to be forgiven is by confessing them to God and the blood of Jesus Christ washes away your sin, not a guy in a robe telling you that your sins are forgiven. There's going to be a lot of religious people. I don't want to belabor this too much, but Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, Jesus said, many, not a few, will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, we did all these things in your name, yet Jesus is going to say, depart from me, I never knew you. There's going to be a, a, a lot. Jesus said many, 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 many religious people that thought they were saved. They went to church. They knew the lingo. They maybe could quote scripture, but they never really were truly right with God. And when they stand before the Lord, he's going to throw them into hell. Say, depart from me. I never really knew you. You practiced lawlessness, meaning you lived a, a life of unrepentant sin. So the last thing I want to point out, and I'm just going to move on from this. Again, I could be wrong. Maybe something will come out of left field and it'll be a totally different thing. But Roman Catholicism, if it's not going to be that um, uh, religious Babylon and, and the Pope, the actual false prophet, if it's not going to be that, it is going to be something very similar that looks identical to that, okay? But it, that's a very good uh, picture and type of what's coming right there. And it says, as I've mentioned, that the false prophet will have supernatural power from Satan to be able to perform signs and wonders, even including calling down fire from heaven in full view of men. And because of the signs and wonders he's able to perform, it will deceive the inhabitants of the nations of the earth. He's even going to have power to take an image like a, an idol and make that thing be able to speak. I mean, you talk about supernatural power. 
All right, so the last thing that I wanted to say about this before I move on is the whole aspect of the Eucharist. So did you notice here that the woman that's clothed in all this fancy regalia is holding in her hand a golden cup? How many have ever seen Roman Catholicism take what they call communion, but it's the Eucharist? How many have ever seen that participate? So what's going on there? is that they'll come out in a box that has like the sun, like a, sometimes it looks like the rays of the sun coming out, and they'll have a wafer in it, and they'll bring that out with great procession, and then they'll have a big golden cup, and people, now listen, this is another thing that's concerning. It's believed that when the priest is praying over this, that it actually is called transubstantiation. It's believed that this becomes the body and blood of Christ. So when you actually eat it, they believe that it actually becomes like flesh and blood within you. Okay, which is, is not scriptural. Okay, so there's a couple problems here, but one, not the least of which is this, that it's like they're worshiping that, and it's almost like that is an embodiment of Jesus Christ right there. So it's given a lot of worship. And listen, when we take communion together in here, you and I both know this. We're not worshiping this. We're, 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 this is a form of worshiping Jesus Christ. I mean, you know, we're worshiping the Lord, but we're not worshiping communion. And we don't believe that this actually becomes literal flesh and blood. So in my opinion, the way I see it is that Catholic communion is not the same thing that we're doing. So I'll give you an example. If I was in a situation where I was with a group and for some reason and they were Catholic and they were going to take their communion and have their priest administer their communion and they passed it around to me, I would say, no, thank you. It's just my, my opinion because I don't believe what they're doing is the same thing that we do. I don't believe it's the same communion that we take. I think it is a counterfeit. And they're not the only ones that do that. Freemasonry has a counterfeit communion they take at a certain level. I don't know if you knew that. Did you know the Mormons also have a counterfeit communion that they take? How many knows the Mormon communion is not the same communion we take? It's a counterfeit. So this is just another thing. The golden cup could be... Uh, another veiled reference, if you will, to the Roman Catholic Euth Eucharist. So anyway, I'm going to move on from that. But the Bible says this in Revelation 18. So it's dealing with this in 17 and 18. And it says, I heard another voice from heaven saying, come out of her, my people. So I've known some people down through the years that, uh, that are Catholic people that I really believe that they found Jesus Christ as their Savior. But I would tell them the same way that I would tell anybody that finds Jesus Christ as their Savior, you need to start going to a church that, that preaches the whole counsel of God and is not caught up in all these other things. You need to go to a good church. So I'm implying in a loving way that they need to probably leave where they are and go to somewhere that's going to preach the truth and see the power of God and Book of Acts Christianity. But that doesn't mean that people are not getting saved in Catholicism. As a matter of fact, back in the 60s and 70s, the Lord was pouring out his spirit so powerfully that there were Catholic people that were getting saved and even filled with the spirit. 
It was really powerful. Okay. And it says this, though, come out of her, my people, so that you do not participate in her sins and receive her plagues. So I don't think that's just talking about Catholicism. I think that that's a, a message for every one of us that we need to make sure that we're not caught up in Babylon. So think about your life for a minute. Is there any area of our lives physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, economically, or in, relationally, or in any other way that has ties and bondages and entanglements to Babylon in these last days, we need to make sure that we're not wrapped up in this world system. We need to make sure that we're in this world, but we're not of it. Is this making sense? So there's things that maybe we need to sever. There's maybe relationships, there's places, there's, there's different things that maybe we need to come out from among them and be separate unto God because when judgment comes, you got to understand, regardless, it doesn't matter what type of walk with God you've had. When God sends his judgment on something specifically, if you're in the middle of that something, you're going to get hit with that judgment just like everybody else. It doesn't matter who you are. When judgment comes, you better get out of the way. If you're in the middle of that sin, you're going to get hit with judgment just like everybody else. How many knows that everybody in Sodom got fried that day? If Lot would have stayed, it didn't matter that Lot, the Bible says about Lot, he was a righteous man. And he was grieved by what was around him. But if he would not have come out from among them, he would have got fried just like everybody else. So the Lord is saying we need to examine our lives and come out and be separate. This is something I've preached actually for many years. I remember preaching this sermon. I'm going to give you a little nugget here. Six sins that ensure you a place in hell. Steve Hill laid hands and sent us representing him back in 2004 to Finland. And every Pentecostal group in Finland seemed like they sent their young people this place. Thousands of young people, this huge tent. And uh, I had the honor of preaching this sermon, man. Young people ran down to get saved. But let me tell you, six sins that will ensure you a place in hell. You can read this for yourself. Read 1 Corinthians 6, 9, Galatians 5, 19, and Revelation 21, 8. And when you put it together, it references six sins. Number one is any occult involvement, and I would include idolatry or the worship of other gods, that we need to make sure that we've separated ourselves from all occult involvement amen that was a good place to say amen right there let me try that again we need to separate from all occult involvement we need to come out from all idolatry any other religions any entanglement spiritually god is a jealous god he wants us solely to worship him alone and have no other entanglements with other things so if you've had entanglements you may have and say, well, I'm a Christian, but maybe you've been doing things like going to a psychic or reading your horoscope, or you've been doing something else, going to a seance to consult the dead or whatever. The Bible says those things are an abomination to God. That means in the strongest possible terms that God hates it with a passion. He doesn't mince words about it. God said he hates those practices. And let me tell you in a loving way, 
the way the devil views that, when people are participating in the occult, it is a form of worshiping him. And he views that as a legal right to begin to possess their lives and to try to take some type of a, uh, an ensnarement there and that bring them under bondage and bring them under his control. As the Bible says, you become a slave to the one you serve. So quit serving the devil by doing his evil activity in the occult and bowing down to images and worshiping other gods. Amen? So that's number one. Let's come out from among them and be separate in anything that would fall under the category of the occult that we remove ourselves away from it and repent of it. See, we want to quote scriptures like in Exodus where it says, if you will worship me alone and not other gods, I, the Lord said, I will bless your food and drink. I'll remove sickness out of your midst. None will be buried nor miscarry. I'll make the number of your days being full on the earth. But you've got to read that in context. That was for those that were God's people that were no longer worshiping other gods and were not involved in the occult. Because the Canaanites were involved in the occult. And God said, you better come out from that and not be a part of that. You destroy those things and separate yourself. Do not allow that in your life. The second sin is the sin of sexual immorality. The Bible is very clear that the sexually immoral will not inherit the kingdom of God. So this isn't something that there's any gray area. God does not, again, he does not mince words. There is no confusion about this. The Bible is crystal clear that God says it's to be between a husband and a wife in marriage, and that's it. Anything else is sexual immorality, and I don't care how much you go to church. You can take communion. You can give. You can be as religious. You can quote Scripture. If you don't repent of your sexual immorality, I'm not going to see you in heaven one day. And that includes, the Bible says, looking with lust is committing adultery in your heart. So whatever you got to do to get it out of your life, get it out of your life. It's not worth going to hell over. Jesus, that's what Jesus was talking about when he said, if your eye offends you, pluck it out. It'd be better to go to heaven with one eye than hell with two. What he's saying there is not going to do any good to actually pluck out one eye. What he's saying there is take extreme measures. Whatever you've got to do to get the immorality out of your life it's not worth it on the other side if you're going to burn in hell for all the eternity over it. So whatever you got to do, do it. Number three, liars and thieves. The Bible says in Revelation 21.8, all liars will have their place in the lake of fire. The Ten Commandments warns us okay, to not be little liars and thieves, not to be dishonest, not to be swindlers. And then number four, drunkards. It's very clear in the Bible. There's no mincing words. Drunkards will not go to heaven when they die. My advice, get it out of your life. Dump the alcohol down the drain. You know, it has grieved me that, that alcohol has been able to creep its way into some places like it has. Because you and I both know, we've been around long enough to know the damage that alcohol does to people's lives the families that it destroys, the children's lives that it ruins, the divorces that take place. You know, the people that you see driving down the road tonight, I guarantee you, you won't have to drive too far to see some guy on the side of the road that's homeless, has nothing. And you look into it, most likely it was alcohol or drugs that got him there. 
But the Bible's clear about this substance abuse. And I would add into not only alcohol, I would add into that illicit drugs. Okay, I'm telling you that sorcery in the Bible is pharmakeia, and it has to do with this drug use. You know, let me just rabbit trail for a moment. Here we are dealing with this issue with Target, okay? How many have seen that they've lost something like billions of dollars? I don't remember how many billions they've lost in marketing or whatever because of allowing this garbage in. But Target allowed, I don't remember the name of it, but this particular person to bring in their artwork. But here, I looked at it for myself, looked it up, looked at the artwork. You and I know because we know the book of Revelation you know where this is going. Well, listen to this. This guy is not only pushing homosexuality and sexual perversions, which the Bible says, none that are sexually immoral will inherit the kingdom. So that's bad enough. But on top of that, he wants to, he or she, whatever he or she is, I don't even know, and I'm not being mean. I'm being honest. I don't know. It may be a lady with a mustache now. Nobody really knows. But anyway, so this person is also bringing in this goat head and Baphomet with the pentagram. How many knows that's straight-up Satan worship? And then on top of that, it's putting in their Satan respects pronouns. So listen, this is not hiding in the corner somewhere anymore. This is blatant Satan worship and blatant sexual immorality. And then this little person decides they're going to also make, and I saw it for myself, it's there, Make this picture of a guillotine. How many knows what a guillotine is? You put your head in there, it chops the head off. Okay, and it's, that was for the people that don't believe like they do. Now, isn't it interesting? I've told y'all this whole time that there's coming a time that the true Christians are going to be hated and Cain's religion is going to produce murderers. And the Bible says in Revelation that they're going to die by a beheading. Isn't that interesting that you're already seeing blatant Satan worship, incredible sexual immorality, and inferences there that anybody who doesn't believe like, like we do should have their head cut off? And eventually that's where it's going. All right, the next one is the covetous and the swindlers. This is rooted in the love of money. The Bible says that the love of money is the root of all evil, the love of money. So you have to be careful with this covetous. And I find it interesting in the book of Revelation as well, it says that people would not be able to buy or sell without taking a mark. You know how many people are going to sell out God and take a mark because of money? I think, in my opinion, I think that's one of the reasons why God has given us tithes and offerings. My wife and I tithe and give offerings. It's because it deals with that covetous in the heart. If God can get that out of you, people that are stingy and won't give God anything financially, there's something wrong with your heart. I love you, but there's something off. If you really love the Lord and you're really his, you want to give to his kingdom and his work. Amen? Would anybody argue with that? I do. We give. But the covetous, the swindlers, these people are not going to be in heaven when they die. The Bible says it. And finally, number six, is the murderers. And the Bible says that even having hatred in your heart is the same as murder. Did you know there's people right now, here we are talking tonight, but there's people beneath our feet that are in a lot of torment. 
There's, there's billions of people that are in hell right now writhing in agony. You know, and some of them, the reason they're there is because they never forgave others and they hated people. They even probably went to church and they were religious, but they never forgave and they just hated people and it ended up sending them to hell. Let me tell you something. It's not worth it. You know, if somebody wrongs you or whatever, just let it go. It's not worth going to hell over. And if we don't forgive others, the Bible says God won't forgive our sin. The only way we're going to get into heaven is if our sins are forgiven. I say this all the time. I've done a lot of street evangelism. And in that, I've seen the good, bad, and the ugly. I've seen some weird stuff. I've seen, I've seen some things, I think, that were paranormal, just straight up weird. I've run into some demon-possessed people. But let me tell you, when you get out there, I've always told people the truth. And that's this. The only people who are going to be in heaven are those that really, truly know the Lord and really, truly live the life. That's it. God knows who are his, and I say this in love, but he will never play any hypocrite games with anybody. And then also, obviously, abortion is straight-up murder. And then also, this is an interesting scripture in the Bible, but in Proverbs 16, or... Yeah, I think Proverbs 6, 16 through 19. It says that there are seven things God hates, a haughty look and all that, hands that shed innocent blood, feet that run into evil. But it says God hates the one that sows discord among the brethren. I'm going somewhere with this. I'm going to dovetail from that to the next point. But I don't want to live my life where this, the Bible says about me that God has those types of feelings of hatred because I'm running around sowing discord among the brethren. I mean, he knows that we got to live this life. we got to be here for a period of time. I don't want to live in a way that's causing the Bible to say about me that God has feelings of hatred because of what I'm doing. So what is this sowing discord among the brethren? Well, I want to dovetail into this last point. I believe revival is about to hit. I do. I feel it. And I believe when revival comes, there's a revival message. You know what the revival message is? Repent. Get things right between you and God. There's freedom in that. You know why some people are, are so spiritually dead? Because they're in bondage to sin because they won't repent. But handling conflict and keeping the unity, this is what I want to talk about. Psalm 133 says how good and pleasant it is for the brethren to dwell together in unity it's like the oil. So that's where the oil flows on Aaron's head down to his beard onto his garments. There's a downflow of oil. The anointing flows where there's unity. Satan knows that. Satan knows that Jesus Christ taught a kingdom divided cannot stand. So what's Satan's number one objective? Create disunity. And so I'm going to share as I close tonight about handling conflict well and keeping unity. Matthew 18, 15, if your brother sins, go and show him his fault in private. Now, the King James says it this way, if you have ought with your brother or if you have a problem with your brother. How many of us have had a problem with one of our brothers and sisters in Christ? We all have.
But when you have a problem with your brother and sister in Christ, go and show him, go and talk about it between you and them. So what would be the opposite of that would be going around spreading gossip and slander, okay? Please look this way. Give me your best ear. Don't miss this. Actually, I want to say this. I felt when I was preparing this sermon that this particular portion of the sermon was a warning for somebody. I don't know if they're here tonight physically or they're online or maybe it's somebody that's going to hear this as a recording. But I feel this is a warning and somebody needs to heed this warning. Because if you mishandle this area, you can end up getting off spiritually so bad it'll be hard to ever get back. So let me warn you. If you have aught with your brother, if there's something that a Christian, no matter who they are, has offended you, there's a problem between you and them. The Bible says that you're to go to that person and talk to them about it first. The opposite of that is what I've mentioned, going and gossiping and slandering them to other people. How many knows that we're not going to get out of this? God said this God meant this and if we don't obey this we're going to have all kinds of problems so if somebody is wronged me my responsibility is to go and talk to that person not go and run them down to other people and try to get a bunch of people offended with them and then start this division among the brethren did you know I'll read it here in a moment but God has a real problem with this activity all right if he listens to you and you're able to talk it through, you've won your brother over. So Jesus is teaching us here to do whatever you can to have unity. Because most of the time, these silly little things that we have against each other are, are petty. Maybe that person was just having a bad day. Maybe you were having a bad day. Maybe once you go and talk to them about it, maybe you'll understand where they were coming from. And you might even come to the realization maybe you were the one in the wrong that took something the wrong way. But you know where all the conflict comes from? It says in the Bible, but by pride comes contention. You know where all this strife and contention originates in? Pride. You know what pride is? When people cannot humble themselves, admit they're wrong, apologize, and want to work it out. A prideful attitude is an attitude that's, I'm right, you're wrong, there's nothing you're going to say that's going to change that. And when you've got two prideful people, there's no way that there's ever going to be peace and harmony there because pride will prevent it. Humble people... There can be kind of a, this, the book of Proverbs says, a soft answer that turns away wrath. There can be humility between two people. Two people that are humble can come together and talk about an offense, and there, there's warmth and there's love between them, and they can work it out. Both of them are apologizing. They're going to shake hands on it. But when you've got two prideful people, they're going to keep fighting because both of them think they're right. So if we can humble ourselves and do whatever it takes to have peace, if somebody upsets you, just talk to them. And then it says this, if they will not listen to you, then you can take a couple more people to go with you. And that's meant to bring peace. In the church, if there's conflict that breaks out in the church 
and, and two people try to talk about, there's not resolution, then it's scriptural maybe to come to the pastor and an elder and take us with you and let's try to talk about it. Most of the time, nine times out of ten, it's going to get resolved right there. People's going to shake hands. There's going to be tears. People are going to hug. Everything's going to be good. The problem is, is when people won't do that. I'll tell you a true story my wife and I know about. It has nothing to do with River of Life. You don't know these people. But I know of a person that there was simply a misunderstanding. And some people got offended with this guy. And because of the offense, they never went to the person and talked it out. Let me say that again. Because of the offense... They never obeyed the Bible, and they never went to the person and talked it out. Instead, they did the exact opposite of what you're not supposed to do, and they went maliciously slandering that person to other people. It made everything go from bad to a lot worse, and we saw it happen. If they had just simply went to the Christian brother and talked to that person, everything would have got smoothed over. And if they didn't feel comfortable doing it, they could have took a couple others with them and it would have got smoothed over. There would have been peace and harmony, but instead there was all kinds of problems. As a matter of fact, it caused divisions. And as a matter of fact, we watched God had to release his judgment on some of those people. It's sad. So go to the person. If it doesn't work out, take a few with you. Okay. But if it, they still refuse and they're going to be contentious and they're not going to deal with it, the Bible says eventually a, a pastor or somebody can bring it even before the church and deal with it publicly. And as far as church discipline goes, it goes from the pastor going to talk to them and then the pastor taking a few others. If they're not going to repent, they're not going to deal with it. Then he said that you can actually excommunicate them out of the fellowship and treat them like you would a Gentile or tax collector, which means that you didn't eat with them. That's what that means. Now, I'm going to show you that here in a moment. And you saw this practically worked out in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 because there was a guy in there that was in sexual immorality, and Paul said to kick him out of the church. He wasn't repentant. But let me show you something that Jesus teaches. I want everybody to look this way and give me your best ear tonight. I'm telling you that I feel that this is something that is a warning for some people because, see, as revival breaks out and more people come and there's new faces and, and all that, you don't know all these people. And a lot of people have never been taught this. And I'm telling you, you really need to be careful. So as we go from going to witnesses now and bringing it before the church, I'm going to give you a couple things here. Jesus goes on to show us what the root problem is. Do you know where divisions come from? He said, truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth, loose in heaven. You know what Jesus is teaching us? Behind the scenes, there's demonic spirits causing this. Behind the scenes, there are demonic spirits. And the Bible says, Jesus teaches us that if you go to the person and talk to him, you take witnesses, you're doing everything you can do. He said, don't forget to bind the enemy because he's the one doing this. 
Then he goes on to say this in verse 19. Again, I say to you, if two agree on earth about anything, it shall be done for them. So he's saying commit it to prayer. How many knows that we need to be in prayer about these things because the enemy is wanting to bring division? I've seen this over and over and over again. I don't know how many times, not just here, but I mean every church I've ever been a part of, all of my friends that are in the ministry, everybody has horror stories about this passage in the Bible not being lived in divisions in the church, people getting offended about the silliest things. They won't work it out, and then pretty soon it leads to a church split. I mean, everybody I know has had these problems. And I'll tell you something, it causes major destruction in churches. And a lot of times you go back and look at it, and you're thinking to yourself, whenever the smoke clears, you're looking at this thing thinking, they split over that? I mean, most of the time it's so petty. And it's brought so much destruction over nothing. You know what it was? It was demonic. Don't neglect binding the divisive spirits and committing it to earnest prayer that God will heal and restore. And then Jesus goes on to say, he says, look, if two of you agree on earth, and that's the word symphono, like harmonize together. And then it says, where two or three have gathered, that means drawn together in my name. Listen, I, I say this because I think it's relevant. Whenever you have prayer meetings about serious things, don't announce it from the pulpit to everybody. Let God draw the right people to pray because you need unity. You need the right people there. A lot of times, you know, if you just invite everybody, you got people there there on their Facebook, listen, they're a waste of time being there, and they're probably a hindrance to what God wants to do. You need to have the people that God, in the Greek, gather together means the Holy Spirit is drawn together. You need the right people in unity. And whenever you harmonize together in prayer, God said, I'll do it, I'll move mightily. Whatever you ask, I'll do it. So if we begin to really earnestly commit these things to prayer and bind the enemy, God's going to keep these things from happening many times. But it's going to be that people are going to make sure that they practice their part of it. If you get offended, go talk to somebody. Talk it out. All right, and then this is the the warning I felt for some people. I hope that you'll take these notes home and that you'll remember this and you will make sure and practice this. You ready? 1 Corinthians chapter 5. When Paul told them, kick out the sexually immoral person out of the church, give them over to the devil for the destruction of their flesh, listen to what he says in verse 11. But now I write to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name Christian brother. In other words, they call themselves a Christian if he is known to be guilty of immorality, that's sexual immorality, or greed, or is an idolater, or is a person with a foul tongue. That means in the Greek, somebody that's a slanderer. Did everybody catch that? Or is a drunkard, or a swindler. 
He said, no, you must not even eat a meal with such a person. That's what Jesus said. Treating them as a tax collector meant back then these people were despised. It was saying, well, of course, we don't like the IRS now. Not a good time for a joke, right? But anyway, the point is that not to even eat a meal with these people. Don't even associate with them. Mark a divisive person and avoid them. But somebody that's a malicious gossip and a slanderer, that is, in the Greek here, is a reviler, and that is a person of a foul tongue. And the Bible says, with such a person, don't even eat a meal. Did you know that was in the Bible? So whenever people are that way around me, they call themselves a Christian. I know my, I've, I've lived this out in front of my wife. But she'll, she'll tell you, if somebody calls themselves a Christian and they're not living the life, they're immoral, or they, they've got a foul tongue, or they're a drunkard or whatever, I avoid them. I don't even eat a meal with them. Because I know the Bible, and the Bible says don't associate with them. You know why? Because if you're not careful, their foul tongue can start trying to affect you. The Bible says don't let a bitter root spring up among you and defile many. When somebody gets a bitter root in them, their foul tongue causes all these innocent people had nothing to do with anything to start picking up their offense start getting bitter like they are and it defiles many please practice this when i was preparing this i was closing out this sermon series and i felt the lord tell me preach on this and then i felt the lord tell me i'm giving a warning to somebody I've preached along these lines before, and I've warned people. My wife will tell you I've preached on things. I've pre I remember I've even said this sometimes years ago, like a decade ago. I remember saying I really feel warning about a Jezebel spirit and this, that, and the other. Next thing you know, several months pass, a Jezebel spirit, some people get, they sat there, heard the same sermon everybody else did and get sucked right back in. Look, I'm telling you, be careful with these divisive people that are gossipers, that are slanderers. Avoid them their trouble i just feel like that's a warning somebody needs to heed there may be some things come up down the road and i'm gonna preach this next week in the conference but the apostle paul said about acts chapter 19 when he went to ephesus and god poured out his spirit for two years great harvest of souls he said there's an effective door that's open unto me and there are many adversaries you know God's really moving when there's a lot of adversaries. You know what adversaries look like? Malicious gossips, slanderers, false accusers. That's what they look like. Jezebels. Many adversaries. We want revival, but you're not going to have revival without some adversaries. So be careful because the devil will try to send them. I won't put up with it, but I can't. And I'm, I'm saying this in love to everybody. I won't tolerate it. But if you as an individual tolerate it, it can take you out. And I won't be able to help you. I'll try. But usually once those people get to somebody and kind of overtake them with their gossip and their slander and have turned them, turned their heart, there's nothing I can do. I just end up watching you turn into a rotten person, and I love you. But you're, I'm serious. I've seen people's personality change. I've seen them go from a wonderful Christian to a rotten little person. I've watched it happen.
the wrong people got a hold of them. A bitter root defiled them. Don't let it be you. If they start slandering whoever it is, it could, it's usually they go after the pastor. But it's, if it's me, if it's my wife, if it's somebody else in the church, if they're trying to divide you, the Bible says mark a divisive person and avoid them. In fact, I'll be okay as a pastor if you flat out rebuke them. I'll tell you what, if they got something to say about me, why don't you take them by the hand and bring them to my face? And let's see if they have the guts to say it then. Usually they don't. And you know what? It's usually a misunderstanding. If they'll talk to me, most people like me and get along with me pretty good. But if you're going to be a preacher of the gospel, the Bible says this. Paul said, if I live to please men, I cannot be a bondservant of Jesus Christ. There's going to be many times where if you're going to please God, there's going to be people that don't like you. Look at the life of Jesus Christ. I do what the Father tells me to do. I say what he tells me to say. And there's people that hated that man so much they wanted to murder him. If you're going to live for God, you're going to have people that don't like you. All right. I don't know why I felt that, but I feel that it, deep within my heart. I feel that there's, there's some things in the, out there that's not here at all. It's out there in the distance. But I feel like hell's forces are trying to talk to each other about what can we do to stop this. And that's their number one attack is a fifth column to send in divisive people. And so discord among the brethren. Because once discord breaks out, it can kill a revival. So, Lord, I thank you. I thank you for your word tonight. I thank you for your teachings, Jesus Christ. The Bible says if we love you, Jesus, we'll obey your commandments. And if we love you, then we're going to practice Matthew 18 because you taught us if we have a problem, we go to the person. And, Lord, we want to have unity and we want to keep unity. And, Lord, I thank you for giving us the grace to do so tonight in Jesus' name, that in the days to come that there's not going to be all this weird disorder and division and confusion, but rather there's going to be peace and harmony in the midst here. Lord, we thank you for it in Jesus' mighty name. All right, let's go ahead and we're going to pray tonight. If it's okay with you guys, I would like to have some prayer over the upcoming conference.